lost episode, episode 31 of the MetroFan TV weekly rundown. It's not really that weekly anymore, but it's a rundown nonetheless. Lindsay Fernando coming to you live <laughs> after a very, very long hiatus inadvertently. How are you doing, Fernando? I am doing absolutely fantastic. We have been saved, Lens. We've been saved. <laughs> a little bit more on that later, because uh, as we know, a humongous news breaking earlier today about a certain man from Germany coming to save us all. Um, but we'll be getting to the nitty gritty of that later. Um, quick thing I think at the top of the episode, we apologize once again for not being able to get episode number 30 out. That has unfortunately been lost to the sands of time because our platform decided to screw, screw us over. And uh, piecing together that episode would be kind of like trying to piece together like a jar after it's fallen on the ground. It's like any little, any infinitesimal little pieces shattered everywhere. I'll never really be together again. But we're here in episode number 31 now. And we are here on episode number 31 to talk about um, the state of the New York Red Bulls in the year of our Lord, 2019. Um, probably coming off the most emphatic win of the season. I think in terms of pure scoreline, it is the most emphatic win of the season. I mean... Uh, anytime you've been a team 4-0 at home, right, like you're supposed to, you're generally going to be feeling pretty good about um, the recent form of the club anyway. I think uh, that'd be kind of fair to say. I think uh, this kind of just makes it, what, I think five or six games in a row undefeated. The last loss coming against Montreal at home, I think um, in the early part of last month, I mean, yeah, yeah, that was last loss. Yeah, four, so I mean, four I, wins in a draw since. Yeah, so a five-game undefeated streak with a four, four of those being wins, and I mean, I think if you look at the stats, um, if you look at that in the vacuum, I should say, like it's reason to feel optimistic, right? I think that's the general pulse of the fan base right now. Uh, there's just been a bit of this. Um, Feel this rising sentiment across the, uh, I think definitely on the fan base, across the fan base right now, that the Red Bulls are back. You know, uh, the curse of the nine year has been overblown. It's been kind of uh, put to bed by the recent play of the team. And uh, I mean, uh, it suddenly seems like it's all, uh, you know, honey and roses in uh, the team's world once again. Um, I guess we'll open discussion about what we'll just open discussion with that uh, feeling. I guess I think. Uh, how do you feel about the uh, direction of the team, like coming off this four 0 win against RSL? Like, are you kind of sharing in with this whole? Uh, are you kind of sharing the return of the good feelings from last year, or do you think there's uh, any potential pitfalls that we kind of have to look out for? I guess I'm. I'm. I've. I've fallen. Oh, I guess I don't even know direction I would even be going at this point, but I guess I've stepped into a place of of maybe just a little bit below, below, a little bit below being cautiously optimistic. I don't. I'm not definitely not optimistic just because I'll give reasons, um, but there are definitely reasons to be optimistic. I mean, you know, if if I were to take you know take a step back from the ledge here, the last eight games have have 
I mean, they've been, they've been great. Uh, six wins, a loss, and a draw in the last eight games. That's two point. That's just below two point four points per game. I think if you expand that to the last ten, uh, the last ten games, it's an even two points per game, which is kind of like the benchmark. You know, like that's for 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 us last year, two points per game really was kind of like the 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 absolute minimum, which is still a pretty good, uh, pretty good, um, uh, pretty good form to be in. Um, so. Yeah, there's definitely reasons to be happy. Um, I feel like we've slowly, we've talked about a couple times in the last couple episodes that you know we've been seeing glimmers of hope, and I definitely feel like in the last, uh, probably with the exception of the since, I guess with the exception of the 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 first Cincinnati game, I'd say the last four or five games collectively it's it's looked more like the team last year um in the first half than the second half uh in in some ways um and i guess if you kind of look a little further back you can kind of start you could you can kind of start seeing things actually progressively getting better i mean the draw against kansas city i think most people agreed we looked pretty decent like it was the first time that i feel like we really 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 saw um for decent part of the game, at least the team looking familiar, you know, um, the game against New England right after was absolutely embarrassing. And even the game against Cincinnati was kind of like, really, that just happened. But then the gal, then the game, uh, then the game against the galaxy happened, which was another one of those games like, uh, Kansas city where it's like, Oh, okay. I, I kind of recognize this team a little bit. Um, then we lost against Montreal, but then since, then the game against Dallas happened. The game against uh, Atlanta happened. Vancouver happened. The second game against Cincinnati. And now RSL, where I feel like you can kind of start piecing together that there is definitely a positive trend um, for this team. That's definitely something to be very happy about. So in, in that regard, I'm very – look, regardless of all the, the the politics and all the bullshit, I always want my team to win, whether it's it's they're shitposting themselves through wins or they're they're blowing teams out ten nothing. I don't care. A win is a win at the end of the day. Three points and three points. Um, so that is very good to see. What worries me though, and this is kind of where I'm hesitant to be totally optimistic about, is we really, really, really blew a lot of early chances uh, uh, this season at home. We had a pretty easy schedule theoretically at the, to start the season, especially with quite a few of those being home. And they kind of dropped the ball. Orlando, we never should have lost. That's inexcusable. Minnesota home, we never should have lost. That was inexcusable. Um, Losing at home against Montreal, absolutely inexcusable. Um, And even losing away against New England, like, I'm sorry, they're just not a good fucking team. That's at the time, at least, that was kind of inexcusable. But it was away. But those three losses so early into the season is troubling because – when you take advantage of that, you can now go into July, which will be a very, very hard month where four of our six games are going to be away, and you can maybe afford to take a couple of punches. You can, you could afford to maybe drop a couple of points here and there. We don't have that luxury anymore because we dropped so many points at home. We need those. And in this league, regardless of how good you are, your away form, if you're even breaking 500 with wins and losses, is considered a, a decent away record. So that's that's kind of what's 
preventing me from being really, really optimistic about about what we're seeing. And then there's just the fact that, you know, we we, we are losing three pretty important players. We we lost Long, Amir, and Kamar uh, uh, for friendlies and 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 the Gold Cup, and they're going to be gone until at least the end of the month. Depending on if any three of those teams make it into the semis or the finals, we're going to be missing them into July, which is already going to be a troubling uh, a, a period for the team. Again, with four games, uh, four to the six being away. So I feel good, but I don't think we're really going to get a true picture of where this team stands until the end of July. Oh, here's the thing. Uh, I hope you guys are ready for uh, my heel turn because this is what's coming after this long hiatus. And uh, it's probably going to sound really funny coming from me, but, um, you know, I think um, there's some reason to believe that, well, you know, the recent uptick of results have been good. Um, There's still a case that kind of can be made that this is a run to some degree that was fueled by a pretty decent portion of good fortune coming our way, right? And uh, not to say that the team kind of like completely, uh, like, like, not to say that the team have been kind of stumbling ass backwards into wins, even though it kind of feels that way in certain incidences. I think um, you can kind of point to the Atlanta win as being one of them. Uh, you can certainly point to, uh, I don't know, what was the other one? Um, the Galaxy win, kind of, as well. I mean, um, it was a great comeback. Don't get me wrong, but um, if you, well, uh, but the results in the recent years. Um, sorry, um, I could also probably point to the uh, Vancouver home draw, where I think we definitely struggled to uh, create more quality chances in the opposition. Oh, and yeah, uh, yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. I mean, uh, just looking at some of the. You know, some of the numbers from that game. I mean, uh, you know, uh, just in general, you could kind of get the sense that we are still not really, as a collective unit, creating enough quality chances to be able to put away games in our own accord, I think. And that's sort of, and that's kind of been the underlying trend amongst, uh, among uh, this recent winning streak, right? Here, like, We've been clinical. We've had a better than league average rate of putting away our chances, but we've also caught a couple lucky breaks with some with a uh, two fortuitous own goals, right? Both kind of coming off uh, pretty similar incidences across into the into uh, aiming towards the six yard box, just got kind of turned in by the opposition defenders, and uh, that's what salvaged us a draw against Vancouver, and that's what started opened the floodgates against RSL. But it's do it's notable that up until that point that we were generally struggling to break that defense down, in spite of the fact that you know they were, weren't really offering anything going forward. And then on the other side of the pitch, the opposition have been creating a number of really good chances that haven't been put away because you know Luis Robles experienced kind of an uptick in form, uh, had to put on a couple of really good goalkeeping performances to keep eat the opposition off the board. Within the first half away in Cincinnati alone, he had to make two big saves off of Fernando Adi in the first half to keep it nil-nil, right? He had that one-on-one, I think, around the seventh minute. And then there was that a header off the off a corner that was just an absolute blinder of a save. You know, like, if you were to take this at league average um, rates 
of finishing and goalkeeping, those kinds of chances on our end don't really go in. And those kinds of chances for the opposition do go in, generally. And what I'm talking about here is, you know, of course, I mean, the expected goals numbers kind of back this up. You know, I think uh, clearly we've been um, we've been underperforming. Sorry, no, we've been at, we've actually been outperforming our expected goals numbers for the um, first bit of a uh, for the last five games, where we've been conceding a lot less, you know, a much lower amount of goals than we've been expected to which generally indicates to me that we're still not quite snuffing out these high quality chances at the rate we kind of need to be in order to um, really say that our problems are over. I think with how bad the East is this year, you can say that we're still in contention, but generally over a sample of the season, like over a much larger sample where the variance is a bit more evened out, you can't really look at this and point to it as being a sustainable way of winning. Because, you know, you're not going to get lucky bounces every game, right? You're not going to have opponents turn the ball into their own net every game. You're not going to have your goalkeeper be an absolute stud week in, week out, right? So um, you could say that the early part of the season was definitely fueled by some, you know, um, poor fortune on our end because, uh, you know, we... We were making a couple of really dumb individual errors that resulted in uh, high-quality chances being granted to the opposition. But even in mistake-free games, or seemingly mistake-free games, like the ones we made against, uh, you know, I think the away win in the away win in Cincinnati, and the, uh, I mean, I guess the uh, game at home against the Galaxy. You know, we still struggled once again to keep opponents from creating chances from high from, from sorry no we generally struggled to prevent opponents from generating higher quality chances than we did ourselves you know like and when, when i look at these numbers you know i think it's great that we've uh, had a five game undefeated streak but we have and i have to take it with the caveat that that's not really a sustainable winning formula for the rest of the season. Now, I will nuance this a bit, though, by saying that with the level of quality that we um, generated against RSL, that is more of an indicator of a qual- of a sustainable way to win. You know, because on the day itself, we definitely created RSL. We were we not only took our chances, but we generated like a ton of them. Could have very well won the game like seven nil if uh, we had more clinical finishing in the first half, but. So I guess I will say this. There was some portion of luck for the maybe four out of the five games in this winning streak. But if the RSL game is an indicator of what's to come from this team, I definitely feel a bit more optimistic about the outlook under the rest of the season. But of course, it's going to come down to the upcoming stretch and, uh, you know, as you mentioned, since we're missing a whole bunch of players for the whole month, right, um, there is some reason to believe that the results will be kind of dipping a little bit because you look at the other standout player for, the, like, I think maybe the last two or three games has been Amir, 
And Amir's going to be gone until gone on international duty until what, maybe the end of June, early July. I mean, I think Panama's getting out their Gold Cup group for what it's worth. So, I mean, you have to be prepared for the possibility that Amir won't be back until next month. And considering how he's, he and he, along with Kaku, have probably been our best attacking players recently, um, you know, you kind of have to wonder if uh, this recent uptick in quality chance creation is really going to continue into June. And then we might be finding ourselves in a situation where we have to play catch up again in July. So, yeah, I mean, very mixed bag for me. I can't really say I'm fully optimistic once again, but, you know, I think uh, this team's proven me wrong like uh, numerous times in the past. I just kind of hope that uh, kind of continues. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually looking at the uh, the Gold Cup schedule right now. So um, we're definitely 100% missing them uh, for um, – so let's see the schedule. Actually, let me open up our schedule. All right, so our schedule, we have a bye week this weekend. So we don't play again until the 11th, which – so we're going to miss we're gonna miss them for the U.S. Open Cup match uh, next Tuesday. Um, we're going to miss them for the Chicago game on the 28th. And that seems to, I guess, be it until – the semifinal. So even if even if any of our even if any of those teams, um, uh, U.S., Panama, or or uh, Jamaica make it into the quarterfinals, those games are on the 29th and 30th. So we have the game on the 28th. On the 28th. So we'll, that's a game yeah that we lose them on. But I mean, if any of those teams get knocked out in a quarterfinal, I would expect to see them for the Houston game on the third. If any of those teams make it, though, into the semifinals, then we're going to miss them for the Houston game. And if any of those teams make it into the final, well, that final is the same day as the Atlanta game. So I guess we have to selfishly hope that uh, <laughs> that the teams make it um, as far as possible so that way you know, we can kind of go back to full strength as soon as possible. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess uh, the big positive, right, coming from recent weeks has been Kaku, right? Yeah. Kind of coming back to form. It's really kind of a lifted the offense, as you can see. Um, I think it's he's he, I think he's bagged an assist, I think, in the last, um, what, two or three games now? I feel like he's kind of uh, – so I think if Armis has truly restored him to that role that he had a ton of success with, I think, early on – um, in the 2018 season, where he's kind of expected to uh, just kind of ram the ball up the gut, right? Quick, play a quick um, through ball through the lines to, to a streaking runner into channels. I think, you know, that's the kind of thing that he excels at. And, you know, I, at a, to a much more significant degree than that sort of kind of more withdrawn um, facilitator type role that Chris Armis was kind of playing him in. Um, I think we've kind of seen enough from Kaku in that position to kind of know that that's not really his bread and butter. You know, I think he showed his quality against RSL. He showed his quality against um, Cincinnati. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and even Vancouver. And even against Vancouver, yeah. I mean, like, um, I think any success that we're going to have while we're missing our um, virtually our entire starting back four is going to be kind of contingent on whether or not the uh, – chance creation from him keeps up, right? And uh, I kind of do want to highlight this for a bit. Um, you know, I think 
the former Danny Royer has been pretty solid as of late. He's definitely benefiting from Kaku being more advanced and uh, playing quicker nowadays because oh, yeah. uh, Kaku f- has uh, found him like making those runs in the channel that he really, really loves to make and is probably at his most dangerous doing. I mean, uh, you factor that in as well with the... Uh, as well as the added improvements that we're getting from Brian White up top, right? And uh, Brian White, you know, not just a goal scorer, but a guy who kind of links with the midfield, gets the ball back, who can kind of link with the midfield and draws defenders apart of this movement. Like a very crafty little player, you know? So I think um, signs definitely that the offense is starting to kind of click into gear a little bit as they kind of understand each other a bit more. And... I think specifically as the tactical instructions from the manager are um, start to yield dividends once again, you know, with uh, guys being restored to roles that um, they experienced success with last year. And also I think um quick shout out of, of, as well, of course, to uh, Omir Fernandez, who has been an absolute revelation off the bench this season. Yeah. It's almost as if he should be starting, sure. but I'm crazy. Like who, but um. I think it's been discussed quite a fair bit on our, on Twitter this year. I think uh, when you look at a player like Omir, you know, I think uh, you've mentioned this before, right? Like he brings a lot of the uh, qualities that um, we haven't really seen in this team from anyone other than Florian Below and like uh, roles that people are able to play. And what I kind of think about, what I kind of like about Omir is that like, you know, he creates these um, opportunity he creates these opportunities to kind of um, creates these opportunities to kind of help break down defenses because he's so good at holding up the ball in tight spaces. He makes really crafty runs in a, in a, in a, in a space. He works the half space really well and is capable of playing in um, either playing in someone, either coming from deep, making a stretch run or, even just kind of play a simple through ball to someone in a slightly more advanced position. Like you kind of see these little things that he brings to the offense is what's kind of helping them click in gear. And, you know, it's not just his contributions to the uh, build-up play either. You know, like it's his contributions on the goal-scoring end as well. Like two games in a row now he's scored by making supporting runs through the center of the pitch, right? You see this from a guy who was uh, just about playing college ball at this time last year. I mean, you have to be pretty encouraged by what you kind of see from him, I think. Um, so I think, once again, you know, I, you, you kind of have to start wondering if it's time to uh, be introducing more of these um, guys who've been contributing off the bench into your starting lineup. Because if they look amazing in 15 minutes why not trot them out for 90 and see if they can contribute over a larger, you know, sample of time. It's kind of what I have to question at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I get, I get where some people say where, you know, I guess like, you know, some people or some players might just really be good for that sub kind of role. But I mean, one, I, I actually kind of think that the whole concept is, is for the most part nonsense with, with few exceptions. Um, but look, I mean, you have to reward players when they play well. You know, 
part of why these guys do so well sometimes when they come off the bench, you know, if, if you're a guy who's typically on the bench is you just have that extra bite, you know, and if, if you come out hungry and, and, and you're doing the things you're, you're supposed to do and you're not being rewarded for it, I mean, that's that I guess at a point where they start losing that. They just kind of just become, you know, whatever. Um, the last play, I mean, I hate to, to bring them up so, so far, you know, I mean, it's two years, two years ago at this point, but Vernon's kind of a good point of that where, you know, in the 2017 year, he had so many good games and, and, and so many good, uh, uh, so many good goals and just, he just played very, very well and he was never awarded for it. And, you know, credit to his professionalism, but it's kind of stemmed in the same, I guess, frustration where at what point do you, at what point, at what point do you, is it just not even justifiable anymore, regardless to, to, you know, to not, again, to not reward a player uh, for, for their quality play. Um, what, what I will say, what I find to be interesting probably the most about this, this uh, most recent run of form is I mean, even though, like, I guess I'm a little, not that I'm, not that I'm totally hesitant to just look at the stats and just kind of be like, okay, we're kind of overperforming right now. But I guess I'm willing to kind of put that a little bit on pause or, or, or at least use a lot more of the eye test along with that data. Simply because if you remember to be the first half of last year, we were really overperforming our expected goals. And we theorized, uh, and then a couple other people had mentioned it too, people who like really dove into it, um, is just when the style of play is in its purest form, where it is just balls to the wall, press, counter press, transition, goal, all within seconds. Sometimes it can be kind of hard to quantify that in 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 you know by using expected goals. So you're kind of more inclined to maybe overperform. But the eye test right now doesn't really match that. So even though the concept of that might still be the same, where the the style of the team may always uh, be in a position to underperform, or sorry, overperform in your expected goals, the eye test isn't quite there. But I feel like it's, I feel like that is slowly starting to maybe come together because I do feel like we're starting to see more and more moments of the team playing you know that 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 more familiar true eds style especially in the last game i mean those that was by far the best the best uh uh performance of the year like like without question uh i i that is probably the first full 90 minute performance we've seen from the team even though in that first half they didn't like you said they weren't clinical enough and, and they didn't um you know some of those really good chances you know didn't go in the back of the net the team I felt played very, very well for a full 90. That was, that was, in my opinion, the best performance without question of the year. Granted, it's against RSL, but I mean, you know, if, if, if we're going to play the game of, of, you know, the table don't lie, I mean, the table don't lie. We weren't exactly doing too well ourselves. Uh, uh, if you look at how the team was kind of sneaking, sneaking by, like you said, with, uh, with, with, with some of the recent, um, with the, some of the recent games. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm gonna hold off on really combing I'm really focusing too much on on like some of the data because I feel like until until the team's performance uh, maybe stabilizes or normalizes itself a little bit where 
I can say, okay, you know, we're overperforming, but you know, we're overperforming because of these reasons, you know, going back to the first half of last year, then I guess I'll, I'll, I'll feel more comfort. Um, uh, and, and one thing I will say though, that is really good is we have had a lot of players score goals this year and that's never a bad thing. It's, it's never, if this team is going to end up actually doing something, something this year, if this recent run of form is really just a team kind of manifesting itself, manifesting itself into something positive again. And, and the, the, the start of the season maybe was a really ended up being just a mixed bag of Chris just, it, it, his first start of the year with, with really being at, at, at the top and maybe not being, um, really good at that, I guess, and really just kind of learning and growing a little bit and, and kind of a throwing in some of the tactical change that he might be doing just a mixed bag of maybe everything that we talked about. And now the team is starting to kind of slowly sort itself out and come back into form. One thing that will definitely pay dividends down the road. If this is happening is the fact that we have so many guys that we can rely on to to kind of just dig deep and make things happen and and just get that extra goal either to you know manage to 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 get a point or even better to get a full uh to get a full three points so this is going to be oh it's already been a weird ass year uh to say the least but this is a weird ass league and you know somehow we are somehow we're third in the east <laughs> In points per game, fourth overall, um, we have one of the highest goal differentials in the league. We're, we're one of the highest scoring teams in the league. None of this makes any sense when you actually think back at the at the games that we got to see. But you know what? If this team is, in fact, slowly clawing their, clawing their way back and, and we somehow do have a good, like a, just a decent away run, where we really get some some a good amount of points in those uh, in those four away away games, and we can manage this uh, uh, this month with some of the call ups. Well, who knows, man? Four months down, three months down the line, we could be talking about a, a, a team that maybe not you know gunning for the shield, but a team that is you know running away with the East or something, or a team that that's just gone through so much shit. Um, and, and that's just had to learn so much that, you know, maybe that's what, what, what kind of pushes him over the top to, to get a trophy this year. Well, I think one thing I will say about statistical variances here is I think you do mention that the uh, numerous chops and changes week in, week out, right. That we've seen so far have kind of made it hard to really ascertain like a very steady sample to kind of draw conclusions from the numbers off of, right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I think um, with regards to that, yeah, I mean, it's probably true that we kind of need to have the manager kind of settle on something a bit more stabilized before we can really draw too many conclusions from uh, the numbers. But I think the one thing that I will note is that, you know, I mean, when I talk about the margins, is that the defense has remained relatively stable for the past few weeks. And it's come down to a matter of individual errors, I think, that have been resulting in I think a lot of the uh, a lot of our opposition's goals have come generally this year off of you know just some really dumb individual errors at the back, and I mean I think what's encouraging eye test wise is that those have been kind of snuffed out yeah, recently. Definitely. Yeah, 
And uh, man, there was I think it's howlers at the beginning of the season. My God. And I think it's true that our attack has generally suffered. I think as well from the fact that it's not just you know personnel that have been changing you know week in week out. It's tactical instructions now. It seems like as well, right? I think uh, with a lot of continuous tinkering going on, trying to find stumble upon a winning formula. And as a result of that, I think um, a lot of guys just kind of looked a bit confused to start the year, but. Now it's starting to kind of come together more as he, as a Armas kind of decides to head back towards the light a little bit more, right? The kind uh, of sort of familiar high pressing intensity that we saw last year. Um, one thing I will note is that, um, you know, I think uh, to kind of tie everything together is that it's to go back to my point about how difficult it's kind of been to draw anything from the numbers this year. Um, It's the fact that, you know, once again, you can't really predict who's going to be trotted out, right? Um, You know, who's going to be trotted out. Uh, Yeah, I have, I I truly have no fucking clue what the starting 11 is ever going to be. I mean, (laughs) one of the weirder things is, is, is how, is how uh, is how quick he is to rotate with even just if like there's a three game like three games in a week. I feel like we, there's never been such a big push, especially this early in the year, to like just okay, we have to sit him because he he absolutely can't play. You know, three games. Let's just not do it. And it's just they like, kind of weird and frustrating because I mean, three games in a week is really not that big of a deal. You know, as long as it's not two three weeks of that, you know, it, it shouldn't be that 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 hard. I mean, it's the team, the team did it quite a, quite a bit last year. So it's, it's frustrating um, because then, you know, you see the changes and then you see the team playing differently. And then now it's like, okay, great. Now is this another game where we're going to potentially drop points because of, you know, roster fuckery, but you know, to get to their credit, they've managed to find ways uh, to string a lot of wins together recently. So, I mean, something is working, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing for me is is that um, this back pairing with Amro and Parker has been comparatively less, you know, error-free than what we saw earlier in the year. But I think a lot of that comes down more in the fact that Tim Parker just kind of just pulled it together, really. I think more than any sort of magical, like, fuckery. Yeah tactical instructions that suddenly turned him in, back into a good player again. Just kind of more down to Tim Parker just kind of getting his head straight and uh, starting to eliminate some of those really, just really goofy things that he was doing at the start of the year. So uh, credit to Tim, of course, to, uh, for uh, getting it together. And of course, uh, big ups to Amro Tarek as well. I mean, uh, Jesus, I mean, what a signing he's been. Seriously, man. Fuck. You know. <laughs> Imagine like a going through this stretch with a uh, Aaron Long's hamstring injury against Montreal with, I don't know, Aurelian Collin. Fid- <laughs> I mean, e- even Fidel. For as much as we like, kind of enjoy his play. I think it is true that he was kind of a bit too slow to play, uh, and foot speed, wa- foot speed wise, a bit too slow to play in the system. But I think you know, I think at. You know, I think people kind of admonish, you know, I think um, the lack of center back depth, which I do kind of agree with, because I still think at the end of the day, Sean Nealish should be the fifth 
center back on the roster, not the fourth. Yeah. But in terms of quality, I think you could definitely say that we've taken a pretty massive upgrade in our third and fourth options. I just kind of wish that we had one more. Yeah, I'm, I think I, really put my. I mean, put my honestly, mind at ease. I I feel like I feel like Niels is even better than than uh, than Colin as an option compared to last year. Like we're yeah we're 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 stronger in the depth. We're just not as deep as we should be. If that makes sense, like our third and fourth choices are pretty solid, especially our, especially our third choice. But we really, really, really should have a stronger fourth. Uh, fourth option and, and that fourth really should be fifth right now but yeah um so i think uh, when you kind of have a look at um i kind of made it a bit of an erroneous claim earlier because it's still a bit early um so um i will take back what i said the defense hasn't actually been um that consistent as well partially due to these selection issues and it kind of boils to one more point of concern i think i have for the month of june is that you know as we mentioned kamar and amir are going to be um, away from us the month, right? And we've generally looked a lot better with both of them in the lineup, and that kind of goes without saying. Um, and when it comes to offensive contributions, I think uh, Amir has probably been, and when he's on his game, like probably our, one of our best offensive players despite playing as a right back. But as you know, I think uh, a lot of how this, a lot of success, a lot of the success of the system um, relies on the width that the fullbacks provide, right? The aggressive play of the fullbacks pushing up high is a massive asset, particularly on the right side of the field. And, you know, I think regardless of uh, what you may be thinking is, go- you may be thinking is going on behind the scenes between uh, Chris Armis and Amir, um, whether or not you think that Armis can't really handle a player like him or Amir is just not engaged anymore. I think, the last his play in the last few weeks have kind of shown otherwise. You know, I think Amir's got his head back on again. He's kind of being the same kind of terror that he was last year on that right hand side, right? <clears throat> Which just kind of turns on the jets and just blazes down it like he's kind of drag racing on the interstate or whatever, right? So um <clears throat> losing that for the next few weeks is gonna be a pretty, you know, it's going to be a pretty big factor, I think, in our outlook because for all intents and purposes, like right now, I don't think either of our depth fullbacks, Connor Laid or Kyle Duncan, can kind of match what Amir can bring, I think, on the offensive side of the game. Of the two, I think Kyle Duncan is probably the better player because he does the defensive stuff so well. But he's undoubtedly hampered by the fact that I think for some inexplicable reason, like he gets he, he keeps him being played at left back while Lade gets trotted out at right back. Which to me is kind of ridiculous considering how Lade can actually use his left foot. And you know, I think um and how much we rely on the right hand side in particular for um generating a lot of our offense. I mean, Kyle has problems crossing. He still doesn't really have the offensive side of his game down pat. But considering the fact that he can't really use his left foot, I mean, you kind of don't have any reason to kind of start him at left back over the next month. Like, we've seen enough of him at left back at this point that I think I'm seriously going to jump off my balcony if I see (laughs) Armis play 
play Duncan on the left-hand side of the field. I mean, that's just ridiculous at this point. Not to really slander Kyle. I think he can be a really great player, but it's not good for his development. He's kind of being jerked around like this so much, right? I think one thing I really do want to say, I really do want to see for this upcoming month, where we're playing our second choice fullbacks, is for them to come in and stick to a side. I know Armis probably listens to this pod himself because everything I've said on this pod has been done to some shape or form <laughs> throughout the season. Okay, so Armis, for the love of fuck, if you're listening to me right now, play Duncan on the right-hand side and keep Late on the left. You know, there's kind of no reason to play Kyle Duncan on the left anymore. We know he has no left foot. I mean, if, if you want to develop his left foot, make him do it at Red Bull too. But <laughs> for the moment in time, I think, uh, you know, I think, yeah. Kind of have I mean, no it was, reason. It was, definitely, it was definitely good to see to see, uh, to see Chris make that that adjustment. Um, but here's uh, the thing. At the half and swap him over. Yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, you don't have to make that adjustment if you get it right from the start, yeah. right? It's like how you don't right, really have. Yeah. It's like how you don't have to make impact subs if the starting lineup is right from the get go, right? So, kind of harkens back to um, how the team's being set up from the first whistle, right? That kind of brings some things back into question. Like, I still think some of the issues are there. They haven't gone away because we've. Um, won the last five games. I think it kind of disposes the question. Some of the guys who have been making an impact off the sub, off the bench, should be in the starting lineup at this point, right? I think, yeah. But anyway, continue. Yeah, I mean, to, to that point, um, and it's really why I've kind of harped on, on on a little bit on this this whole thing of, you know, these impact subs really needing to kind of just be the starters. Um, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were because I have the memory of a guppy. Um, <laughs> but I tweeted it, I think, a couple of days ago. Uh, but it's something like, f- I think, only five. I think it's only five of our 25 goals have come in the first half. That's it. All the other game, all the other goals are second half goals, and uh, that's—I don't know—I I, don't—I don't think that's a, a good thing. I mean, it's—it's it's definitely good because the obvious, you know, we're 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 still winning and we're still getting results and all that good stuff. But I don't—I don't think it's good that we have to rely, like you said, on 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 um on the team needing. Uh, needing those kind of second half performances. I mean, it's kind of the opposite of, of the first half of last year where we were so lethal and we were so lethal in the first half of last year because we scored first so often. And when you score this whole debate that's happened in, in large parts of the season about going against teams and bunkering and then bunkering more and all that stuff, a lot of that, was negated last year just for the simple fact that we would score first so frequently. And when you score first, you force teams to open up. Teams can't sit back anymore. Teams can't, even if they want to do that, even if they want to play direct and all that shit, they can't. They have to play at that point. And a team was so good at forcing teams to do that. When when Jess used to always talk about putting the game on our terms, that's what he's talking about. 
It's exactly what he's talking about. Not just pressing just to press and, and, and all that stuff. It's there was a purpose. There's a goal. When you go out there and you force teams to 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 now have to go toe to toe in the middle of the ring, you're gonna you're gonna get your best results. But when you allow teams to to find a way to 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 or, or you just don't play good enough, frankly, uh to to get on the uh, get on the board first or worse fall behind which we we've, we've fallen behind quite a bit this season and now you're kind of desperately trying to claw back you've kind of taken the the, the wind out of a out of the biggest sail you've you you you've you've kind of put yourself in that position that you're now complaining about so if there's one stat that worries me the most even more than how many go- how many games we've dropped at home it actually might be that it's the fact that this team for for some reason, just cannot find ways to 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 frequently get on the board first. We can't rely on scoring four goals in the second half. We can't rely on these crazy comebacks. You know, some from just having a a, a talented team and it's going to happen, and and or, or or and or relying on luck. Big club shit. Beginning of of last year came down to starting the game and just with the sole purpose, the only point, the only thing they wanted to accomplish was to rip your dignity out from, from, from the deepest parts of your inside and shit on it all within five minutes, 10 minutes at the most. And once that happened, that was it. it you, you, you knew what was going to happen the rest of the game. We saw it. We saw it against uh, uh, NYC, uh, against these uh, uh, bootlickers uh, twice. Um, so many games we well, we we sorted against last year. We just don't see that anymore. We see a team that looks sometimes a bit lost for good parts of a match, or they come out looking really, really, really strong, and then I don't know what happens. It's almost like a flip to switches, and they're they're not playing as aggressive. They're playing slower. They're 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 not you know they're not counter pressing, not pressing as much, and the transition is slow. They just start regressing from that good team that that should be. That, that should find ways to carry that through a whole first half to put them in a position to score first, which then forces teams to play. So that that's 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 something that has to change. And look, when you're relying that frequently on impact stubs and and your MO at this point of the season is second half comebacks or second half blessings of, of, of finding ways to get goals, maybe you should start thinking about starting those guys and start in a right foot from the very beginning and actually be able to put the game on the, on the terms the way you're supposed to. You know, it's interesting that you bring up uh, big club shit in that little, uh, that last little spiel because, well, I guess we'll move on to our next segment now because we received news of uh, very big club shit recently, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Just, just earlier today. Uh, it's an absolute doozy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and it's uh, really fortuitous that it kind of broke on this uh, weekend where we're having a bye. Um, Ralph Ragnick, head of uh, soccer and head of sports development uh, for the soccer department at Red Bull now. Basically, like uh, to um, cut a long story short, Ralph Ragnick, the man who kind of engineered and um, oversaw the uh, rise of Leipzig into this uh, proto-mega-bastard club, has decided to go global, right? The man who kind of put the uh, G in RBG is um, 
releasing the shackles off himself at Leipzig and is now becoming a truly worldwide phenomenon uh, in his new role as head of, uh, head of uh, sport and development for the soccer division at Red Bull. He's coming to develop the infrastructure at the clubs in New York and Brazil. And uh, with how this season has generally gone, that is not insignificant news, right? With, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of, uh, you know, talk like, does Red Bull Global truly care? Is there no project anymore? Is the system truly dead? Well, I think this is your answer, right? Yeah. The man himself coming down to us to kind of bring us to the next level, right? Kind of built off the backs of what Jesse Marsh kind of started with. He's going to be, seems to me that he's going to be trying to kind of take that to the next level. Infrastructure rise, right? Like building up our academy and scouting network into something that he thinks will, um, if the quotes are to be believed from the article in Forbes, be brought up to a capability where they're producing a player like Tyler Adams every single year. And I think it's pretty... When you see quotes like that, I mean, that's pretty crazy, right? Like, uh, when you consider all the accolades that um, we've received for our youth development side over the past few years, I mean, having one Tyler Adams was amazing. But apparently that isn't considered good enough for the brass at Red Bull. And they, and Ralph himself is said to come in. <laughs> It, it, yeah, and you know, it's it's funny you brought that up. Like we've we've actually talked about here a couple times about like one of the the biggest questions um, with this team regarding Rebel Global was what do they consider success? What is good enough for them? What do they consider a good enough investment? Right? And I mean, I think Fido put out a good argument that you know two great players that, 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 that got a, a pretty solid, uh, a pretty decent, well, you know, it's got five million to Chelsea, um, uh, Adams to Leipzig with a $3 million up front with a 33% sell on, which I mean, at this rate, I, I can't imagine him going for under 30 million at some point in the future. Um, and, and, you know, a, a manager for, for, for Salzburg. I mean, those are pretty solid returns. And then if you drill down, you know, a little bit more, we've talked a lot about this too, about how the Academy for us, one of the biggest advantages of the Academy was the ability, especially in such a, a restricted and capped uh, league like MLS, um, the ability to raise the floor and, and kind of raise the quality and standard of the bottom half was like the biggest advantage. Apparently that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, you know, apparently the idea of, of you know, an, of a Tyler Adams and, and Matt Miazga every couple of years is just simply not enough. Um, and, and the goal is one of those every single year. Yeah, I think he explicitly said, right? Um, yeah. He wasn't happy about the fact that in the seven years that, it start, that he started since he took over as the technical director at Leipzig, the New York clubs only produced one Tyler Adams. I mean, you you hear that, and then you factor in the fact that he's bringing two of his uh, top assistants in Lars Kanopka and Paul Mitchell with him. That you kind of know he's not fucking around here now, is he? Yeah. Like in the slightest. I mean, uh, I think of course, like when with the uh, big, you know, 
um, overturn at an organizational level when Ben Erisman was uh, released from his contract earlier this year and how we've kind of had no head of scouting for, you know, most of the season. And no, and no academy directors. And no academy director either. Well, I mean, it, I guess it turns out that our new head scout is Paul Mitchell and our new academy director is Ralph Ragnick himself. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean uh, he, he, he's not like directly, you know, I mean, it's not like he's taken up those two titles like directly, but it was mentioned that those members of his staff will be overlooking the implementation and extension of those particular divisions of the team. And when you've seen the work that they've done at Leipzig to kind of Salzburg too, and Leipzig and Salzburg. Salzburg, yeah, to kind of bring their ideas to life. Like you start to kind of start to salivate at the mouth, really. It's the uh, possibility yeah. of, of what might be possible down the line. Cause we know that he's not here for a retirement vacation, right? He's not here to just kind of dick around, um, walk up and down Fifth Avenue and sip a macchiato or something. No, like he's here to develop Theo's capabilities of the club. And that is, to me, indicates not only is, is the project not dead, they're doubling down on it, right? Yeah. You're going to be trying to take it to like a whole new level than what we've kind of seen before. And uh, I mean... And it- an intriguing part of one of his quotes was how he had mentioned that uh, apparently the original plan was at the end of 2021 for him to basically now shift his focus over here. But he decided that the work were that I guess the work was just so far, far behind. I forgot the exact way he, uh, he phrased it, but essentially the work was just so far behind um, that he felt it, it was important to kind of just, you know, push that now and now it's this big investment with uh with red bull brazil um it 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 definitely seems like these these two things uh kind of make sense yeah um so i think that kind of does clear up some of the organizational you know i mean the vagueness with the organizational structure right now i think it basically officially indicates that the New York club will be receiving direct oversight from Ralph Ragnick. Whereas in the past, I think you kind of, it was kind of a bit more of an indirect influence, right? Where I think, uh, you know, Ragnick as the sporting director at Leipzig would kind of suggest a few things to Oliver Mintzlaff. And Mintzlaff himself would kind of give some leeway to the uh, club here to kind of try and execute that. Well, I don't really think that that's the case any longer. And I think the most direct implication it has in the team is the fact that I think, you know, Dennis Hamlet and Chris Armas will be receiving directives directly, right, from up top. Ragnick will kind of set the uh, direction of where the club's going to go, and it's up to them to execute it directly from him, with him kind of overseeing it. So I think with regards to uh, talking about what we, were, we, what we were talking about in earlier episodes, with regards to the talent pipeline being a massive, you know, determinant of the club's success and how much you know emphasis they're going to be playing acing on player development going forward i think now you could probably kind of do a bit of think of reading in between the lines and determining that yes it kind of turns out that our hunch was kind of right that the new york pipeline continuing to churn out quality players is going to be a very key indicator of whether or not 
the executives in New York keep their jobs, right? If Dennis and Chris aren't really up to the task of continuously churning out high-level talent, then you have some pretty good grounds to believe that they're going to be bringing in people who can't, right? And I think um, when you think about stuff like that, I mean, like, you know, I think uh, we, we talked about this a lot in here, the uh, common catchphrase that we've used a lot in this on this podcast is Salzburg of the Americas, right? I certainly think that now that being the end goal has not only been clearer, I mean, it's the canon. That's what the man himself said he wants to do with the clubs in New York and Brazil. He wants to turn them into the Salzburgs for their respective uh, confederation. So you have Brazil churning out, you know, talent in Brazil and maybe the rest of Conmebol down the line. But we also get, but up in New York, you have kids from all over CONCACAF and maybe a couple here and there from Conmebol as well. You know, I mean, just um, it's an indicator that they're serious, I think, in the, uh, dip, in the sporting side of the uh, New York organization. And I you know, I mean, like, if the end goal really is us receiving that same level of, you know, acclaim that's and continuous domination that Salzburg enjoy in their league. I mean, look, I can't see that as a bad thing. Salzburg have done a ton of winning this past six, seven years. You know, like more, more, more than that, man. They've, they've won, they've won, <laughs> I think, uh, I think it's 10 of the last 13 uh, league. Uh, yeah, I think they were champ, league champs 10 of the last 13 years or something like that. And they've won. I want to say four of the last six or seven Austrian cups or something along those lines. I mean, it's, it is extreme big club shit. We would be, I mean, we, we, we would, if we had that type of, of domination in MLS, I mean, MLS would just probably fold because no one would be interested anymore. I mean, maybe that's the play. Maybe that's actually how we dissolve MLS. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, Ralph, Ralph's biggest enemy is taking down a single entity. I think that kind of be as a pinnacle accomplishment, I think, is him finding a way to fuck with the parody, with the force parody of the league and just turning us into a mega bastard despite the, uh, you know, the yeah, I, <laughs> restrictions placed upon the club. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, I, I understand, if I'm going to be fair, I understand some of the skepticism and I understand that it definitely the optics are terrible of, of him basically flat out saying that, yeah, I'm totally doing all this because of the benefit of Leipzig. I, I, I I'm not going to, I'm not going to be stupid and say that's not problematic. That being said, there is another club under the Red Bull umbrella that has explicitly been a, a, uh, basically a farm team for Leipzig for a long, long time. And it is a team that we just finished talking about. Um, what's interesting about Salzburg, and I, I know I always talk about fucking Salzburg, not just on here, but even online, um, is I really think they're probably the most interesting club in, 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 in the Red Bull umbrella because even though Leipzig is, is, I think any reasonable person would say, kind of at the top, whether anyone agrees with the um, with the politics of that or not, I think it's still fair to say that. I mean, it's it's the Bundesliga. It's 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 simply a, a bigger, better league than MLS. So of course, it's going to you know draw um, uh, the most attention and kind of be at the top. But despite that, I mean, Salzburg has been an unreal club for quite a while. 
especially since Ralph kind of started getting his hands involved uh, over there. And that's, for me, the case study. It's it's not Leipzig. For me, the case study is Salzburg. Because here you have this this uh, uh, this club that really doesn't have a huge following. They get maybe anywhere from seven to 10,000 people per game. Um, what do you call it? Uh, they, they have a, a, a great development system, both internally with their academy and, 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 you know, from, from all the, the, the players they get from all over, all over the world, um, you know, inter- to, to develop, whether it's at life ring or, or, you know, from just, you know, the, the, the first team, um, but what's interesting is seeing a byproduct of kind of being this this purposeful uh, uh, farm team or springboard for Leipzig is most of their transfers don't go to Leipzig. Most of their transfers go to other clubs around Europe and usually for a decent amount of money. It's not always a 50, 60, 30, whatever million dollar transfer. Sometimes it's two, three, four, five million that they'll get from from you know another German from just a different German club or a second uh, a Bundesliga club or or whatever you know they sent players to Spain and shit like that. So for me that's the case study because the 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 natural benefit of investing so heavily on development is you're naturally going to do well. You're 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 going to play well. It's it's just it's a byproduct, right? It's 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 inevitable. It's going to happen. Uh, what what heavily developed uh, professional team, not reserve team, but actual professional team, is regarded as a great development club that sucks? I don't know of any, off the top of my head at least. So you see Salzburg, and you see the the level of investment um, that they that they've had there over the year to the point where I mean I'm sure they're self sustaining at this point. Um, but you see all the different players that get there. You see all the different the, all the development uh, that happens there. And yeah, sure, the best players get get pulled in and get sent to Leipzig, but it doesn't happen to the detriment of that team. Again, they've absolutely demolished, absolutely demolished Austrian Austrian soccer. I mean, there, there's there's no one even close to them. It's it's almost obscene. Now you could argue that it's a different league because it's open and there's no rules and there's no salary restrictions and blah blah blah. But the fact that the core of this is internal development and just development in general, that still especially plays a role in MLS because all of these potential internally developed players that, that he wants to, to now, you know, he wants to develop in bulk, not just once in the blue, those, all those players don't count against the cap. They're all homegrowns. So yeah. if, if if so if you're able to 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 develop that uh, a Tyler Adams level talented player at a consistent basis or guy is very close to him where you can fill out five six or even seven guys of of that quality or near quality and none of them go against the cap there's no team that's going to have as 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 big of, a, of 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 an advantage of that and. And like, at, like Salzburg, the big advantage to that is it doesn't only have to go to Leipzig. You're just naturally going to get other clubs who are interested in these players. So, okay, this guy may not fit uh, uh, fit Leipzig or they just don't have a spot for a player like that. Fine. But you know what? He's a good, technically talented player who's young, who has an upside. God knows what random team is going to swoop in and, and, and pull him up. And all that money just kind of gets reinvested. So – 
I understand the criticism. I understand the skepticism. But if 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 the goal is to basically try to mimic what Salzburg has done as this farm team, the dirty word, and try to implement that into MLS as best they can, and we get even three quarters of the success that Salzburg has, I don't think there will be a single person in a couple of years who will who will complain because I can imagine I can't imagine us not having even more sustained success, but this time involving cups. If it ends up becoming obvious after a little bit of, after a couple of years where you know what they're doing this, but to the detriment of this team, and 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 we're kind of fumbling because they're pulling guys at the wrong time and blah blah blah. I will be the most vocal person against it. But right now, there's no evidence. To, to show that that's the plan. And there's plenty of evidence to show that it's actually the opposite. And this is only going to help us. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing for me is that I, 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 I never really, I didn't really understand the, uh, you know, the line that, you know, focusing on player development is somehow antithetical to winning or winning isn't being put first at the behest of player development. Because I think to me, I mean, like winning is a byproduct of successful player development, isn't it? I mean, if you manage to create a, a high um, amount, a high quantity of high quality players internally, like Salzburg have, Salzburg, this Leipzig feeder team has, and how that's translated over into success in your league. I mean, look, you can, you can emphasize player development, and I say go ahead and emphasize player development all you want, because it's clear that you're developing champions. You know, I think, um, I think people kind of take, I, I, I don't know if this is like sort of like a conspiracy, like sort of like a, just a weird cultural conspiracy take, but I feel like player development's kind of had this, you know, a bit of a pejorative sense to it in the American pantheon because in American sports lexicon, because when people think of player development, they think about tanking, right? They think about taking on young unproven players and trying to turn them into contenders, or trying to basically develop star players at the behest of results over the next few years. It's kind of not really like that in soccer, I think. Especially not the way that Red Bull has done it at Salzburg, right? Where winning has been a where, where them winning them winning so much has kind of been more of a byproduct of them being just so good at developing their players. Um, to the point where they reach a crazy high level. Like, here's the thing. You talk about results in knockout competitions as well. The feeder team made it further in the Europa League than the so-called top team. <laughs> yeah. Right? Let's think yep. about that for a bit. Leipzig crashed out in, like, what? The round of 16, a quarterfinals, right? I think it was. Yeah. And then, well, Salzburg made it all the way to, like, the semis? Wait, no. They made it to the final, didn't they? Was it the semifinal? They were knocked out by Marseille, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a semi. They were knocked out by Marseille in the semifinals. Like, like, here's the thing. Like, what we've generally seen done at Salzburg kind of indicates that their way of developing players does not run, is not a diametric opposite to winning. They do both at the same time because that's the goal. I don't think Ralph Ragnick decided to look at here and say, shit, I want my team to suck. Because that's how we produce good players. No, I don't think it's like that at all, right? Like, your players should be in an environment where they win a lot because that's what develops their mentality to kind of step up to the next level, right? And 
you can point to your the success of your team. You can point to the success that they've had in playing um, in developing players to kind of entice more high caliber prospects to your program. That's how it kind of works. Once you have a proven way of showing that you can create incredible talent um, internally, and you know you can point to the types of clubs that you're sending them off to. Like that's what's going to entice people to come to want to come more, you know. You you create this image of yourself as the gateway to a really good club, and down the line. And really, I think if you look at at it through that lens, I mean, look, <laughs> it, it it becomes a self, um, you know, it becomes a self perpetuating circle at some point, right? Like. You ship off this group of really great players, and the next group of players theoretically come in. You develop them to take the place. You know, it's been a self-perpetuating cycle of how much turnover that's generally been, um, of how much turnover there's generally been that some of the Red Bull clubs over the years, right? And to think that we've already had a slight taste of that in sending Matt Miazga off to Chelsea and sending Tyler Adams out to RB Leipzig. Imagine if Ralph manages to pull off his, you know, his baseline scenario where we're producing a Tyler Adams every year, right? Even if we don't produce a Tyler Adams every year, we're still producing really good MLS level, MLS caliber players who can kind of step in. You know, even though you may not necessarily be producing a Tyler every year right now, we're still getting a Sean Davis, we're still getting an Alex Muel, we're still getting an Omir Fernandez every year, right? And now to think that that bar is going to be raised even higher where Tyler Adams, like literally the most exceptional player in this academy's history, becomes the baseline. I mean, that has an effect. The, the baseline means- becomes one of the greatest prospects from America in, in, in a while. Like one, you know, a, a top, not the, but one of the biggest prospects. That's, I mean, that, it's a Pulisic level prospect, ben- isn't it? Yeah. yeah, that's a high benchmark. That, that's a... That has, I mean, like, you know, I mean, that has a natural effect and generally the rest of the types of players that you're producing, where even the ones who aren't on Tyler's level can still come in and play at a comparatively high level in MLS. You know, I think that's probably the main takeaway for me here. Look, all, all these people complained about Tyler Adams getting plucked and, and, and not being replaced. Well, hey, man. They're 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 going to do you a solid. They're going to make sure that every time they pull Tyler Adams, there's another person lined up because they want a Tyler Adams every single year. So there, so there you go. Yeah, revolving yeah. door of, of Adams level players. But I, I will, you know what? I will say this too that at, at the end, look, there, there's two things here. One, nobody in soccer, no no professional athlete, no sporting director, no manager, no ownership, none of them not want to win. They all want to win. Ed, you're, you're not in. You're, you're not a sporting director. You're not a, a, a player. Not a coach. If you don't have that 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 burning passion to win, that's always first and foremost. No one's gonna not try hard enough to win. That's just stupid. The other thing too is the best as a development team, right? You always want to find ways to showcase your players. And there's no better showcase than winning. There's no better showcase than putting yourself in, in, in these these positions to get into into big tournaments and win these tournaments, whether it's the U.S. Open Cup, whether it's uh, the MLS Cup, whether it's Champions League or, or anything beyond overseas. That's that's how you're going to showcase 
your guys, you know, okay, okay, this guy is, is, is decent, but how is this player going to be in tough moments? Well, you start showcasing those guys in those moments, it's just going to make them even more appealing. Um, so again, it's, it's, it's winning will always be a priority for this team, no matter what, how they go about winning might be different than, than, than what some people in the fan base prefer, but winning is still the goal. And one other thing I will say is even, even if this team is now going to double down on, on building from within and extending that development and, and really taking it to a whole different level, the team has still shown that they will drop money on an outside purchase for the sole purpose of winning. They spent $6 million on Gaku last year. They fought to make sure this year that he didn't let he wasn't he wasn't just sold off for any 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 for any amount of money that if he was going to go it would be worth it so they can reinvest so they've shown that th- that they'll spend the money when they feel that they need to obviously we needed a better playmaker who fit better with how the team played so they went and at the time dropped the second highest transfer fee in MLS history and and the highest by far and club history and there's apps and, and we've been, and then it was a whole Pacetto uh, uh, stuff, how real that was. We don't know, but I think there was enough evidence to, to show that the team was at least interested in the idea of him and they knew very well what he would cost. So the team has shown that they will spend money in that, that way that people love, you know, the, the, the big slash or whatever. And then it's not only about homegrowns, but if you want sustained success, it's always going to be, with with this type of method, or just you know throwing money at 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 players and, and kind of just hoping they stick, kind of like the Galaxy have done, but have pretty much failed every year since the last what four or five years now. So, you know, it, yeah, where, it, where they literally have to go and sign like one of the top five players in the world for them to come second in the Western Conference behind LAFC. Yeah, and, and they've actually <laughs> lost like four in a row. They're they're actually on, yeah. on the decline. So I mean, so much for that. But I mean, it, it, it's even, and it's funny because for for parts of the, at least the beginning of the season, it was a lot of talk of, and even from us, like you know, it was kind of a little shocking where it's like this sucks because the whole point of the system was kind of to prevent this kind of stuff to continue to sustain success, right? But I think at this point, a lot most fair people would reckon would would be able to to recognize that it was it was either the detraction from that system or having someone unable to figure out the right pieces to make that system complete or continue from last year while losing some pieces that what we're seeing now is the team actually go back to that system that worked. And that is what's now actually giving us a little bit of of success. So it's just proving itself even more that when you have this pipeline, when you have this complete system, as long as you're sticking to it, you can in fact have sustained success. Yeah, uh, I guess, you know, I mean, and on the topic of the sustained success, you know, I think like, you know, I've just been thinking and I think I'll just kind of tie up the segment of the podcast with this thought is, you know, I just keep thinking about all the, you know, the all the players that have come up via Red Bull 2, right? I think, you know, there's a bit of a stigma attached to Red Bull 2 players for some odd reason, but I think of all the players that we've been developing internally and actually that's not just you know it's not just limited to 
Red Bull 2 players. You know, I think on the Red Bull 2 side, you think of Aaron Long, you think of you think of Florian Below, you think of Vincent Bezicourt, you think of Brian White, you know. And then on the internal development side, it kind of extends to guys like Kamar Lawrence and Amir Maria, right? Like guy, like relatively unknown prospects who have kind of come in and been groomed, right, into becoming the players they are now. And all the success they've achieved together as a unit the last two or three years, right, literally gave us the best season in club history and literally became the most dominant regular season team in the history of the league. All of that wasn't considered good enough for Ralph Regnick and Red Bull Global. And, you know, I think if you put it that way, you know, I, 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 I don't really see how, like, this isn't not exciting to you. If this is what being a Red Bull Leipzig feeder club entails with the mountains of success, I'll take it every single day of the week. It's not like CFG where they have all their affiliates kind of dicking around in mediocrity and not really giving a shit, right? Like when it comes down to the end of it, if I'd rather be a Red Bull Leipzig feeder club than an extension of Manchester City because one has yielded more success across its multiple divisions worldwide than the other. And we, and I do think that we're quite fortunate to be on the right side of this one. I do want to make one last point, though, and, and I, th- I think you brought up uh, a good point uh, when you brought up about not just internal but externally, you know, external guys like Kamar and whatnot. Is the the Salzburg model isn't just you know local Austrian kids? A big part of their model is yes, it's it's development, but it's also bringing in you know young guys from across the world, 16, 17, 18 years old or whatever, like very very young players. We we talked about this earlier this season with. Uh, with Jorgensen, how he's kind of just like really just a, a, a regular old, you know, type of signing from Salzburg. Like it's just, okay. Yeah. You know, eight year old for 2 million here. Here you go. Let's, let's see what happens with him. That's, that's not abnormal over there. That's again, that's, that's kind of typical. So the, 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 the interesting thing about, um, about uh, Ralph's comments was, yeah, he mentioned, uh, Tyler Adams, and when he mentioned Rebel uh, uh, Brazil, he had mentioned one of their, uh, one or two of their Brazilian players. But if you really kind of dig a little bit deeper and you think about the broader scale of how uh, Rebel clubs, especially Salzburg, and even to an extent Leipzig, develop these players, it's not just academy players. So I don't know. I don't think that it that this big development plan, whatever he has in store for us, is going to be limited to only. Uh, to only academy players. I'm sure that's going to be a big part of it, especially given the MLS rules. But I very, very, very much think that the plan is going to be, is going to mimic um, even more of the outside type signings, maybe like Jorgens, uh, like Jorgensen or even a lesser scale, you know, not as expensive, but maybe not super cheap uh, players, but just kind of under the radar young players like we've seen, but just at a higher level. And and develop them, uh, develop them to a higher standard. Um, but but even before you develop them to a higher standard, just bringing in guys who their base level when they first come in is just better. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the precursors weren't wasn't just Jorgensen, right? But Christian Kasser is last year. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, just a quick a side on the uh, the the uh, what you know um, the outside prospects have done at. Salzburg, the types of players that they've developed. I mean, 
you're seeing a whole bunch of guys. It's not just, you know, it's not just Europe. It's Africa and Asia as well. Guys who've come in and become full-fledged nationals for your teams. You know, you, I'm thinking of mm-hmm. the uh, Takumi Minaminos, Huang Hee Chan, uh, the Malian kids at Diadi Siameseko and uh, Ibrahim Konate, right? Like, it's not just, um, yeah, I mean, like, again, you know, and it's it's pretty good to mention that it's not just going to be um, local homegrown academy players, you know, which is why they emphasized the part where they were going to be building up the scouting network as well, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing in Paul Mitchell to develop the scouting database because they want to find those gems throughout the region. I don't know where they'd be pulling them from exactly, but it seems to me that the implication here is that they want to pull from throughout CONCACAF the same way as Salzburg has pulled, not not just in Europe, but in Africa and Asia as well. So that's sort of going to be going to be our like little, um, you know, pool of um, to draw from. We're going to be pulling it, picking up more kids like, you know, Alan Yanez, uh, Alan Yanez, you know, Amir was one of them coming from Panama. Um, Maybe, uh, you know, I think, uh, like I said, maybe you'll get a straggler from Conmebol here and there if it's a slightly less developed Conmebol side like Venezuela. You know, I think we have to emphasize that the scouting network being built up is being built up for a reason, right? As to uncover all those little gems scattered throughout the region that they don't know of right now. So I think uh, with that, we'll move on to the... uh, We'll move on to the uh, questions, I think. Um, four questions in the mailbag today. Um, I'd like to thank everyone once again for sending in a question. Uh, the first one coming from uh, regular contributor Casey Jones. Any weight to the BWP rumors? I think BS. Will we see him play before the All-Star break? Are the fans that wanted Kaku deported a few weeks ago <laughs> cheering for him now? <laughs> Thoughts on White and Amir producing more than Jorgensen. And a little last note he gives us is anyone is still mad or about or do not want their season ticket holder shoes, I'm an 8.5. So anyone with shoe size 8.5, uh, get in touch with Casey. Send, send the shoes their way. They're going to a loving home. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll touch on the BWP rumors first. Um, unsubstantiated, I guess. I don't exactly know who the source is, but Rumor is that he's kind of on the trading block right now. And it kind of sounds like one of those like spoken in hushed whispers kind of things, right? Where it could be something, it couldn't be. And if you kind of have a look at the way that the club's kind of conducted its business, I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's true that an heir apparent was brought in this winter, which is usually the precursor to some kind of big movement happening. But for it to happen midway through the season isn't generally the MO for how this club is operated, right? Like, if anything, it probably indicates that BWP might be moving on this winter more than anything. I don't think it happens halfway through the season. It's why I also don't really buy this whole idea that he's going to be traded within MLS either because, I mean, the club doesn't really do that much anymore. I know they did it in the past uh, with Lloyd Sam back in, what, 16, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Felipe, so, I think, was the other big midseason trade, but we don't really see this club sending, you know. No, Felipe was kind of like right at the beginning. It was right at the beginning, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, we don't really see a big midseason inter- 
intra MLS trade anymore. Like it usually happens either during the, it usually happens in the winter transfer window. So considering what the club has kind of done, mo wise, um, yeah, I don't really, I don't, not enough about this kind of adds up to me. So no. I'm kind of with you on that one. No, none of it makes sense. Um, from a sporting side, it doesn't make sense because look, I, we've praised Barlow and White quite a bit. I don't, I, I I'm very hesitant to, to, to give them the keys to, uh, um, to, to be our primary goal scoring options uh, going forward. Um, and I mean, yeah, you know, he might, he might have a little bit of an injury, but, we have a DP spot open, so it's not like you need, you need a, a DP. Uh, not like we need a DP spot uh, to be freed. I understand there's cap stuff that are that's involved. Where I guess theoretically the team may not have five hundred thousand to 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 spare if they get a third DP, so they have to get rid of him. That's that's uh, the team has kind of failed at that point um, on roster building. If they're at the point where they they're they're desperate to free up five hundred thousand dollars in the cap, and they need to uh, just harshly and hastily send away the biggest club legend by far since this team's inception. Um, I mean, kind of going back to the sporting side. I mean, is it really that bad to have someone like Brad coming off the bench? Really, Wando can do it, but you can tell me fucking Bradley can't do it. That's bullshit. Uh, that's complete utter nonsense. No part of this makes sense. There's a small part of me that knows it's possible just because, I mean, this would probably fall into the top three dumbest things this t- this team has ever done. But I, so I, I leave that space open for possibility, but no part of this from sporting and non-sporting makes sense. So I, I'm, I'm going with nonsense. Uh, I guess, uh, the part about White and Omir producing more than Jorgensen. I guess a quick A-side about Kaku. Um, it's really up to people whether or not they want to forgive him. I'm not going to really, you know, pontificate whether or not people need to. But, you know, I think he's definitely, he stepped it up in recent weeks. Full credit on him. It's happy to see him back at his best and happy and smiling and confident again. So, yeah, big ups to Kaku. Um White and Omir producing more than Jorgensen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we kind of... I guess Jorgensen ended up being kind of a bit more of a project than we'd kind of projected at the beginning of the year, right? I guess he wasn't really quite ready to uh, step in and contribute at, fir- at first-team level like we kind of thought early on. But um, I don't see like playing time at Red Bull 2 to be a bad thing like at all because, I mean, anytime you get first te- first-hand instruction from John Wolinick... And um, it's a good thing. And it's always good for a young player to just kind of get playing time, especially as an 18-year-old in a new country learning a new tactical system. Um, so I'm not really too ticked off about the fact that White and Omir are producing more than Jorgensen. It just kind of means that your development schedules are probably a bit different than what we anticipated, um, you know, uh, at the start. But... You know, I think I do have to point out that point of differentiation between White and Omir and Jorgensen is that White and Omir were familiar with it because of their prior, you know, experience in the Red Bull system, right? Like White played with the under 23s, Omir was an academy player. So, of course, naturally they're going to be a bit more familiar with what they have to do um, and how they have to function on the field than Matthias Jorgensen is at this point in his career. But 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Jorgensen's starting to find a bit of a groove for himself down at Red Bull too. So maybe you'll start to see him contribute a bit more at the senior team once he gets more comfortable and acclimated. So, yeah, not really too worried about Matty Jorgensen just yet. He's going to be here for the long haul. So still plenty of, plenty of time for him to kind of recoup uh, that $2 million investment for now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, I may have flat out said that I didn't think he would play a single Rebel Two game. <laughs> so obviously, I'm wrong since he's pretty much lived with Rebel Two. Um, I guess looking back, um, I, I'm not quite sure why Dennis felt it was important to 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 kind of not push hard, but definitely like be very vocal in saying that you know he would be the immediate impact. I, I'm not sure if he felt a pressure from fans or if he was trying to maybe uh, appease some people or if there just was maybe a slightly unrealistic um, expectation. Uh, what I will say is the fact that Jorg- uh, Jorgensen's actually a Rebel Global um, uh, a, uh, scouted player, like from overseas, I believe, um, not really like directly one of our guys, I think is a good sign. Um, I could be wrong that I, I, but I'm pretty sure the 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 some of the, the chatter at the beginning was, um, it was you know one of the scouts over in Austria or something kind of kind of had their eyes on him or found him first or something before handing him over to our scouts or something like that. But the the fact that he was seen by the larger ports, uh, the the larger you know people of of Rebel Global and and you know two and a half million or nearly two and a half million dollar. Uh, signing is certainly going to get some kind of approval from Ralph or Oliver or something like that. So that gives me comfort in knowing that, okay, he was properly scouted and they, they obviously see something, um, even if we don't see it right now. So, you know, it, it's, it's not a small investment and I guess to a degree it's, it's slightly worrisome because it does kind of put the team in a little bit of a weird spot if they do want to bring someone else with the intention of, of, actually sliding in and, and being an immediate impact player or type of player. Um, but he's 18 years old, you know, he, he's eight, he's, he's younger than Ben Mines for fuck's sakes. Like, <laughs> if, you know, if, if he just, if he's just going to need some time to, to just get used to everything that he's getting used to from a new country and, and new culture, new environment, new leagues and, you know, the system and all that stuff. You know, look, some people make mistakes. Sometimes you can maybe, you know, overshoot your target a little bit or undershoot your target and it happens. So hopefully um, everyone with the new organization kind of readjusts to that. And, and, you know, he ends up uh, showing his value at the very least, you know, next year even. Yeah, I think what kind of got people kind of excited was the fact that Dennis said that he'd be on, he'd been on your radar for a while. Yeah. And with how many like strikes in the transfer market they've had recently, it kind of, you know, kind of entice the, uh, kind of entice people. But moving on to the next question from Patrick Dawan. Thanks, Patrick. Which deity do we have to pray to to get Kaku, Amir, Omir, and CCJ on the field together? Ralph Ragnick. Yeah. yeah hopefully, yeah. I'm hoping that's, that's it. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really hoping that's it. Um, next question coming from Lee Jutton, a regular friend of the show. Thanks, Lee. We've had dis- we've had issues dealing with the Philadelphia Union, even when they are an objectively bad team, and we are good. 
How do you think the team will need to approach this game now that the Union are actually decent? Well, um, we have a bye week, I think, this week. But hypothetically speaking, if we were to play the Union this week yeah, we, for uh, no, whatever we, reason. Play, no, I think we play late, like, towards the end of the year. I don't, we're, yeah, we're free no, this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah. So, September. <laughs> So I think um, the team news going into their game, I forget who they're playing this weekend, but the team news going into their game is that they have 19 players available because of various call-ups. I think Andre Blake's away with Jamaica. Um, You're missing Mark McKenzie because I think he's been injured. I don't actually know. Like, I'm not really too familiar with the rest of their roster, but... Um, I think the big change in Philly this year has been the emergence of two attacking options, I think, that will be available for this game. In uh, what's his name? Fucking uh, Sergio Santos, I think, from Brazil. And uh, that Polish kid. What's his name? Kasper. Uh... Did you happen to be able to pull up his name by any chance? Yeah, let me see. Kasper. Um, all right, so I think all the Polish, I think all the all, all the Polish listeners are probably going to admonish me for uh, butchering his name, but Kasper Przybylko. Prizib- <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, like uh, my, my I just saw like a whole bunch of Y's and Z's together, and my brain kind of froze. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I couldn't even. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that. Yeah, um, I'm sorry about that. I mean, like, I don't know what it is with the Philly Union and having, like, all these, like, ridiculous names, like, between him and Harris Medjunin, which I always fucking struggle with. I mean, like... (laughs) Which is Lucian, just don't even say his name like I do. Yeah, I'm just going to call him... Just refer to him as Guy Number and just repeat his number. I call Pressbot. (laughs) Pressbot number 77. Union's not even a real team anyway, so whatever. It's not even a real fucking city. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't have to care that much since we're not we're, we're not playing them this weekend anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's true. I think uh, the biggest uh, improvement that has kind of made Philly into a bit more of a unit this year has been the fact that uh, I think, as they mentioned, you know, building on their defense last year with uh, guys like Austin Trusty, Mark McKenzie, and Jack Elliott kind of emerging is the fact that now they have actual viable attacking options. So I mean, if we were to play Philly this weekend, it would be a very Tough test, I think, right? Uh, I'm going to be seeing, especially with our back four, like mostly away, going into the game, the back four, I think of probably like the uh, starting back four of like what, Laid, Amro, Parker, and Duncan, right? So it's going to be a question of how well that makeshift, that sort of second string back four um, deals with their new attacking threats and whether or not... Um, we can solve their defense, right? We kind of got a big boot. I mean, uh, they still have their starting center back pairing and uh, Jack Elliott and uh, Austin Trusty, considering that Mark McKenzie's been out for a while now. But losing Andre Blake is a pretty big boon if we manage to get some shots in goal. Um, interestingly enough, there is a Red Bull connection there because uh, Coronel is on loan from Red Bull Salzburg, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he's probably going to be the starter coming in. Um so that's going to be kind of an interesting um, little um, side note. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to come down to whether or not we can solve the uh, 
what has been the second most formidable offense, uh, sorry, the second most formidable defense in MLS this year and whether or not we can keep the second most formidable offense off the board at home. So, I mean, I wouldn't be really be too surprised considering all things considered, this is a loss, but you gotta, you just gotta hope that that back line kind of keeps up its end of the bargain to buy enough time for the attack to try and solve your offense. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I, I I've seen I've seen him a couple of times, and 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 they're uh, they're definitely a team to kind of be careful with. Um, I us at our best, I think we're better than them at their best. But I I guess that's kind of where my concern comes is we don't know what team we're going to see, and for us at least, we don't know. You know, are, are we going to see the same, the same team that 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 you know beat ourselves for nothing, or, or really put it to the galaxy uh, in that three to two win, or are are we going to see, you know, the the team that showed up against Orlando? I mean, I, I don't know. The fact that that there would be so much rotation is is definitely definitely concerning because I I think we've seen how much, you know. Gaku kind of feeds off of Amir and, and, and what kind of not just Amir, actually Kamar too, and, and how that, that relationship plays on, on the outside. So, I mean, this is the kind of game where a lot of it's going to ride on, on Chris and, and what starting lineup he decides to, 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 to put together. Um, if, uh, if it's another Davis Rizzo, you know, tag team, yeah, they did great against um, RSL. I just against the Union. I'm not sure that's a partnership that's going to work. Um, if Lade is on the right and and uh, Duncan's on the left, I mean, just turn the TV off. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's it's really going to depend on 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 the starting lineup uh, because again, the, the Union I think are, are definitely beatable. I definitely think we have a team. We have the roster to beat them. It's going to be how are they going to be managed the right way to 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 beat them? But the bright side is we don't really have to worry about this too much, um, you know, because again, we don't we're, we're we're clear of the union for for at least a couple of months until the end of the year. So right now they can kind of just focus on um, on the revs for next week. So we'll see what happens. I guess in theory, like uh, it, since the union actually have attacking options this year. They're not going to play us as like you know defensively as they have in the past, where they just kind of bunker. Or Jim Curtin would just kind of pack the box and bunker um, to try and make a statement win over us at home. But then again, you know Jim Curtin has a formula for beating us, and that involves a lot of bunkering and a lot of sitting back and a lot of making it ugly in the middle of the pitch, right? So yeah, that, that disruptive true. factor would potentially be something like. It really. It also kind of depends on what Jim Curtin decides to come out and do in the day itself, right? Whether or not they decide to come out and attack, which would play into a press a bit more, or if they decide to kind of stick to the old uh, trusted formula of how to beat the New York Red Bulls, right? Which is to sit back, make it ugly, and just capitalize on mistake when it comes to. I mean, maybe they're a bit more dangerous on the counter since they actually have actual attackers now. So yeah, I mean. Potentially one pitfall if uh, we were to have played them uh, this week. But thankfully we don't. We can just look forward ahead to the uh, home away from home game at MSU next week in the Open Cup against Bruce Arena. Last question yeah, we coming. Should, we, should have, we should have previewed the Revs game. Fuck. 
it's okay. Yeah, that, that, that game exists outside our canon anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, um, it's actually a Red Bull 2 home game. That one against the oh, refs. Yeah. Um, Last one coming from Colin. Thanks for the question, Colin. Was Jesse Marsh just visiting, or was that a scouting trip? Seemed especially happy after Murillo's goal. Well, I think we know that Jesse is a pretty big fan of Amir's talents, right? And uh, I think, as it turns out, the it's entirely possible that um, people being spotted from Leipzig and Salzburg at Red Bull Arena over the past couple of weeks wasn't a coincidence. I guess it was a, actually a precursor to this pretty massive announcement <laughs> earlier today. I like to think, yeah. and um, as a result of that, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's not a scouting trip. Maybe it was an addition. Maybe Jesse. I guess Jesse could potentially be interested in taking a couple of our guys over to Salzburg if he really wanted to. Amir might, I, I don't really know what Salzburg's needs as a team generally are, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really rule it, put it beyond him. Uh, there are probably some kind of ulterior motives for Jesse being here, but I mean, it's also the off season and, you know, it's also the off season in Europe. We just probably had some business in New York to attend to considering that Ragnick just got announced as the, uh, you know, the new global head of global director of football. So I mean, I can only really guess what Jesse's here for. Um, do you have any insight you'd like to share? Um, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure if there's a player that, that he would be interested in, you know, and um, he wouldn't hesitate to, to you know, start the, the, the work, I guess, to, to bring that player over. And I'm, I'm also sure that, you know, a player like Amir or something, you know, who's who's – often alluded to wanting to, to eventually head over to Europe, you know, sees Jesse there and the, the guys know that he's there and, you know, maybe not, not as an audition, but definitely uh, lights a, a little, little fire under them to maybe perform a little better to kind of, you know, Hey, remember me, don't, you know, don't, don't forget about the good times um, kind of thing. But look, Jesse loved this team, man. He, he absolutely, for all the criticism that even we've given him, he, he genuinely loved this, uh, loved this team. So, him being there was 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 good. Um, it is the off season. I'm sure he was just, you know, he's 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 in Jersey for for the off season. So you know, why not why not go to a game? Um, but I can definitely, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a player ends up uh, going over to Salzburg. But I I don't think it's going to happen personally. I mean, last time I checked, he still lives in Princeton, right? I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, his family's here in Jersey. I think. Uh, the school districts in Princeton are generally pretty good, so I wouldn't be surprised if they decided to uh, let them continue their education there. And, you know, I think the, the biggest flex is that it kind of cancels out the uh, energy for the return of Mike Petke to Red Bull Arena, right, as head coach oh, of RSL. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's hilarious. Typical Jesse Power move, stealing all of Petke's thunder. <laughs> RIP. <laughs> RIP, Mike. Poor guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are there ulterior motives or not? Well, I guess time will tell, right? If uh, suddenly Amir moves over to Salzburg in the uh, offseason or whatever, but who really knows, man? Um, for now, we just chalk it down to a beloved former head coach. Maybe not beloved in some circles, but definitely a respected head coach. Probably the best in club history, making a return back to New Jersey. Spent some vacation time. 
Speaking of vacation time, that kind of does it for us here in the Metrofan TV uh, semi-weekly rundown. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, once again, for all the uh, uploading problems we've been having. Uh, technology, as it turns out, is a pretty awful thing. So uh, throw all your electronics in the bin. Um, <laughs> dismantle your internet connection. And tweet 69 of Verizon or whoever your internet provider is. Um, and then... Delete your Twitter account and throw your phone in the bin. Um, we hope that has been a pretty uh, informative return episode. Uh, we're just trying to figure out a recording schedule, actually, now that you know both of us are working adults, finally. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm working. I'm not sure if I'm an adult, but... Right. Oh, I mean, like, here's the thing. I think working is kind of in inverted commas as well, right? So... Yeah. considering how much how in line we are when nothing's going on so <laughs> yeah i mean all i really got to say is uh, enjoy your uh, weekend off ladies and gentlemen uh for everyone making the trip out to msu next week for the open cup game we salute you um yeah absolutely absolutely nothing going on in ripple land this weekend uh unfortunately so we'll see you next week hopefully i'm not really sure <laughs> yeah we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll see you at some undetermined time in the future but for now it's your fan tv saying peace good night and to solve mls bye <laughs> later